2: Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from? I'm Arlene Bailey. I'm from Salins in County Kildare and I'm a singer. Arlene, thanks for coming tonight. Thanks for driving up. As I said, I have... A few issues with Skype, but just doesn't want to be my friend. So thanks okay. for coming up to me. It's no problem. Thanks so much for opening your door to me. I could be Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I know. Do you know, this is, someone the other day wanted to meet me and Paul was like, you're not meeting him. Do you understand that? He was like, you can do a Zoom. But I just was like, oh yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll meet you for coffee. Paul was like, no, you won't. Yeah, I think the internet
1: makes the world seem like much a, a much more smaller and kind of safer place nearly in one sense you know so yeah. we're kind of oh yeah he's my friend she's my friend and <laughs> you don't know who you could be dealing with. Yeah so but I won't be doing that and I didn't yeah. I, I didn't So and that's I'm I fine <laughs> I'm not Jack the Ripper.
2: <laughs> Arlene tell me you were and um, you reached out to me on Instagram and then we had a little conversation back and forth but from the start you want to tell me about your life in silence and then where that took you.
1: Yeah Um. so yeah born and bred shall we say in silence um, I had a, a quite a a normal and lovely upbringing I guess um, I was painfully shy as a child I think there was there was stages where I wouldn't look at people even that were related to me I didn't even want to talk to them and then other times I'd be jazz hands I could be up on the table doing a jig for you um, there was very little in between and it's only recently that I noticed that to be kind of similar to the way I am now and maybe a trait of uh, my condition but um yeah, so great childhood. Mom and dad. I have an older sister, younger sister, younger brother. A um, lot of love and a lot of laughter in that house. There always was. Um, I knew from day one that I wanted to sing. I always wanted to sing. There was no, there was no stopping me. I had a plan, and by hook or by crook, I was going to to do. I was going to set out and do what I what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional singer. So, um, my parents saw this in me as well, and used to encourage me I was going to say push but <laughs> a bit of both um yeah so they would be kind of on my case sing this sing that get up and sing with this band do this do the other you know put yourself out there um and then at 16 years of age I joined a band um it was kind of well it, it was not kind of it was unheard of for anyone in our house to leave school before finishing secondary school and doing your leaving cert, but. I upped and left, It was like joining the circus, sayonara, good luck, everybody, as soon as I turned 17, I left, and um, as I said, I was with a the band then, we hit England, we travelled around England. For a
2: second, yeah. the band, who were they, like, were they older, or were they, you know, at 16 years of age?
1: Yeah, up? yeah, they were older, it was an all-girl band, okay. yeah, um, but anyway, look, that's light years ago now at this mm-hmm. point, but anyway, we, we travelled, yeah, we did a fair bit, as I said, I did nine weeks, the first stint, away from home first time ever leaving the country and of course out into the big bad world without mommy and daddy (laughs) it was a shock to the system but uh, a real eye-opener as well Rebecca like I think I I probably need needed that kickstart needed that slap into reality I think at the time it was it was unhealthy in one way but also I I wouldn't change anything I wouldn't change if I could go go back now and even when I relive certain experiences I think would I change that no I wouldn't because that's what's made me who I am today and I'm where I am today for for that reason or those reasons but um, what type
2: of experiences were they were they you said, unhealthy what was so well unhealthy, unhealthy if
1: I go back to say when I was um 15 I oh god I was really kind of I was really withdrawn and um I used to have really dark thoughts and I didn't know why And I have discussed this now publicly on a couple of occasions, so I don't mind saying it, but I uh, took an overdose when I was 15 years of age. And I was very cool and calm about it. I just decided, hmm, yeah, I'm going to do this now. I don't really want to be here anymore. And it was very kind of, uh, it was was an easy thing to, to do for me at the time, which is insane. You'd imagine that you'd be, I don't know what, Way I I I should have been, but in in my head I probably thought, wouldn't I be completely off the scale, insane, lost the plot? No, I was very rational about it. Um, and being fifteen and being a bit of a gobshite pardon my French, I I told my friend, and she nursed me all night. She didn't take me to the hospital. We didn't tell my parents. We didn't tell anybody. Um, we happened to be babysitting that night, or she was babysitting, and I was with her which you know was fine wasn't anything out of the ordinary because we both would have babysat on different occasions for the same family so mm. um i spent most of the night with my head down the toilet her holding my hair back i remember her sitting at the table with me going stay awake stay awake um like i i don't know why of course maybe i know now why i did it but at the time i was like what was going on there was nothing going on with me there was nothing There was nothing out of the ordinary. There was no major heartbreak. There was nothing going on at home. You know, as I said, my childhood was idyllic. Mm. I had the best parents. um, Nothing. Um, So I guess then when I set off at that young age of 17, I probably wasn't, well, I wasn't mentally in a great place. Mm. I just didn't really realise. So as time goes on, um, I suppose there would have been serious dips in my mood. There would have been times where I... Uh, battled with food related issues like I would have starved myself I dropped my weight dropped a ridiculous like uh, I think at one point I was like a size four Um, yeah I was all over the place and all the while I was traveling the world so I at times was surrounded by people I didn't like didn't want to be around I uh, was homesick desperately homesick and I, I thought maybe that would have got easier as time went on it actually got worse Like, and even when I'd go away for short trips, like if I came home, I'd I'd never really be home for any more than four or five days. And then I could be gone for six months. Um, But if I came home for a number of days and went away for two weeks, for some reason that even seemed worse than six months. I think once you hit a certain point when you're away from home and you're homesick, you just power through. It's Mm -hmm. sort of, I think you just become, you become Mm -hmm. used to it or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I did. But um Yeah, so there was a lot of... um, No week was ever the same, basically. Um, I spent a lot of time in the UK. I did several stints in uh, the Middle East. I travelled all around the continent. I um, found myself randomly working in Monte Carlo Country Club, you know, with the finest of... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like the the glitterati, you know, Mm. performing for people like that. And maybe going out that night and sleeping in a shitty caravan like on my it, I could I could write a book I, I don't think I'd be able to do it justice if I sat down here for an hour with you mm. and try to explain what life mm. was like on the road but um there was a lot of fun there was a lot of heartache there was a lot of um brilliant times uh, a lot of great gigs there were um so I spent time in the states and I would have performed there to brilliant audiences, huge audiences, small audiences, pubs, clubs, whatever, you name it. I'd show up at the opening of an envelope just to do a gig. Um, And yeah, there were some great times. I made decent money at times from the music business. Mm. And there was other times I went hungry. Like I actually remember one time, I laugh now, but being so broke somewhere in France and having to get like cheap frozen chips Uh, and cook them up and the cheapest of coke yeah (laughs) and it was like fine dining at the time Do you know it's hilarious because I've experienced all ends of the you know the spectrum in that regard but um a lot of them are funny stories like I found myself on a fishing boat off the coast of Saudi Arabia one time at four o'clock in the morning how How? Yeah, exactly. No one ever says that to me. They always just go, oh, that's great. (laughs) That's hilarious. Mm. How? Um, I was with a band. We were doing, what was it? It was three months, three months in Bahrain in a Mm. hotel um, in Manama, which is the capital of Bahrain. And like, that's literally just off the coast of Saudi Arabia. Mm. So... I found the people out there, although you'd be kind of nervous because you didn't have a clue who you were dealing with, they were quite friendly and quite willing to show us around. Oh, come here, we'll show you the island and get into the back of our car and we'll bring you here and we'd be like, really? The people were lovely for the most part. I didn't really experience anything nasty out there, but um, yeah, just some random guy who said, look, this is, let's bring you out here after your gig. We'll have a meal after your gig and say it was two o'clock in the morning and then this idea of the fishing boat, let's... Let's bring you out there and show you around. It's just outlandish. But um, actually on the note of the, the Middle East, at the time, as I said, that at that point I was with the all-girl band and we used to wear hot pants on stage. Yeah, I'm about to ask that yeah. question. So it would have been, like it was a country band and it was a brilliant line-up insofar as all the girls played their own instruments. It wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like a teeny bobber type thing. Uh, legitimate musicians and whatnot, but... Um, I looked out into the audience one night and there was a guy in his full Arab attire. I, I don't know the correct term for the, mm. the outfit. And let's put it to you this way. He was having a good time with himself, you know, Jesus. sitting there watching us. And I thought, how come nobody's stopping this? Mm. But no, nobody was going to stop him. No one was going to stop that man, you know, having a good time, as I said, in front of a group of women in hot pants now. It's a man's world, isn't it? You know, especially out there. there. Mm-hmm. But um yeah. Um, I went solo eventually. I spent time in the states i somewhere along the line I um, got engaged to my childhood sweetheart <laughs> and uh, again,
2: how like does yeah, is he still in Ireland is yeah there? yeah okay. he was
1: um, yeah, he was he was my first proper boyfriend, and through all this, I guess he was always at the back of my mind, you know, so um, lost contact for a long time because I was traveling. He was doing his thing. I'd come home, we'd get together. We wouldn't, it was on, off, on, off from the age of like 15 or whatever. But uh, yeah, a um, bit of a whirlwind situation there. We got together and then, yeah, we were engaged. We had the wedding planned and then we broke up. And I packed my bags and went to New York. And he packed his bags and went somewhere else in the world. But um, yeah, so. Did that affect you? Um Absolutely of course it did mm. yeah yeah um the long story short there with that is we eventually got back together and married and then divorced after 5 years so all the while I know it's all it's all part of my story I guess you know mm. it's it's not really the main story but all the while this was going on um do you know there was a mental health issue going on at the back of it and do you know I was a ticking time bomb I think in a lot of ways because I was running around the world, and I was wired to the moon at times and severely depressed at other times, and didn't realize that I was bipolar so um yeah, so there was a lot of there was a lot of ups and downs there was a lot of downs there was a lot of times where I'd find myself curled up on the floor now again, I was homesick, so I put it down to that, or I was kind of miserable or I just didn't want to be wherever I was at the time, but I remember being curled up on the floor sobbing my heart out going like this isn't this isn't normal there's nothing really that I can pinpoint that's going on nobody has no one has been murdered nobody Mm. has you know hadn't been dealt any terrible blows along the way as such that that would have rendered me that depressed
2: in that time though did anyone ever Ask what was going on. Like, was there minders? Was there, you know, is there people watching out for you? Was your your bandmates? Did they not ask questions?
1: I'm tempted to say no comment on that one. You know, it's okay. that's it's, okay. Do um, you know? I think there's a reason that certain people come into your life, and then there's certain or there's a reason they leave as well. Mm. You know, or that you want them to. Um, but no, and I think as well as that, if I go back to when I was 15, I'm there with my best friend. We're both 15 years of age. I've taken an overdose there was no adult there was nobody there to kind of watch over they were there but I mean mm. I didn't tell them so you know there was no sensible grown up looking at that situation going we need to get her to the hospital or this girl needs mm. to speak to somebody or needs to you know whatever it might be need counselling um, and I guess at that time no there was nobody really looking out for me mm. I was looking out for me Rebecca um, it's a different life isn't it my brother
2: he went to the Cora. Yeah. at 11 he went right. just went to the cover he was sent off there so it's i think nowadays i don't think anyone would let their 16 17 year old ha- head off without no, they some, wouldn't you know it's mad s- yeah like or, 11
1: is yeah, a baby yeah and i think of my nephew he turned 16 two weeks ago and i said to my sister like i was his age and then a little bit more and i upped and left can you imagine letting him out of the town he lives in never mind yeah i out of the country you know it is it's I don't know she reckons that my mum and dad were mad to let me go mm. I don't think they were I think they wouldn't have got a minute's peace to, peace if they didn't let me go because
2: mm.
1: I was you know I get a notion in my head and I'm going with it and that's just it you know but um did you ever get
2: yourself into a situation while you were traveling that you thought, I'm in big trouble here in what way just when you're traveling around, like you're saying, you found yourself in a fishing boat. Did you find yourself in other situations that you were just like? Or aside to that, in your mind, when you're curled up into a ball, is there a point that you're like, "I'm in trouble with my like in
1: my mind, I'm in trouble"? Yeah, I guess I didn't actually feel any kind of external danger, as you say. Mm. when You're talking about the fishing boat situation; that was more outlandish than anything else. But um yeah, there was times I didn't I didn't trust myself. You know, there was. There was another incident there where I sat on the floor in my bedroom in the house I was rented in Manchester. Now, I had cleaned the entire house because my take on it was, right, I just, I don't want to be here anymore. And if my parents have to come from, from Ireland to, to my house now, if I find it was something drastic, I want the place to be clean. And that's just mad, I know. It's the irish in us. Isn't it? Yeah, clean the house now and then just, you know... Be ground if anyone mm. has to come in and step over a dead body. Um, God, <laughs> God forbid, Arlene. Um, no, sorry for getting upset that's there. Okay, take your time. Take your time. Um, that's where I was at, and that didn't work. Thank God, you know. And all the, these times, I guess I was crying out. It's that cry for help, whatever you want to call it. Um, I didn't get the help. I went to um, take your time for a minute. I went to A and E in hospital in manchester i didn't see this coming take damn you ta- I know. <laughs> or damn me it's me talking not That's you our, just take your time with it. Um yeah i ended up in any just like not as in i went in i went mm. in because i thought look i've taken tablets and kind of at the time felt like i was being lectured by those around me so uh let me get a tissue
2: yeah, take a second i'll to... end up drowning the floor. i know hang on <laughs> let me get a tissue. Hang on, hang on.
1: Well, can I so, can't, can't believe this is going on YouTube. Give you a 2nd to... two. You're grand. It's like a therapy session. This <laughs>
2: <laughs> to get yourself back.
1: The last thing you want is a snivel and mess for the whole thing. No,
2: we all need a minute sometimes. So don't M-Zine. worry about. End scene. <laughs> uh,
1: Anyway, Um there. Rebecca kicked me under the table mm. and I started crying. You just um, but yeah, no, I just, I didn't, yeah, I didn't get the help. I also didn't really look for the help and I wasn't open to it if it was there, you know? Mm. So um, it took, it took many years before I kind of, I did go, I did go and see a counsellor. I, I went to see, I went to see a psychotherapist I went on antidepressants for a while it was yeah you're depressed yeah you're this or you're you're nothing you're just a bit blue whatever off you go my emphasis was always on the low moods so I guess I never noticed when I was a little high Mm -hmm. so I just like, just running on adre- yeah, adrenaline maybe you're yeah. doing all those gigs so i'd you know. be thinking look this is just me this is mm. me happy this is me wired yeah i'm up all night i've decided to clean the house hot, top to bottom at four in the morning so what and uh, that's totally normal um like talking 90 to the dozen outlandish ideas stopping people randomly on the street that's one i know i still do now mm. when i'm a little hypomanic um i will stop somebody Well, and say what um, I'll just start to talk to them. I want to talk to everyone I encounter. Hopefully, they'll have dogs because I love dogs, okay. and that's generally what triggers it. It's like, oh, your dog, right. <laughs> so I can I can um, write it off as we're talking about the dog, but really, I have energy, excess energy that I just need to do something with. but Arlene, um, I'm going
2: to stop the wash, the dishwasher. Hang okay. I can hear it in the background.
1: I couldn't hear that.
2: Real insight into the house today, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, apologies. Go, go on. Grand. I'll take a mouthful take of tea. Take
1: yourself a minute, yeah. The tea is very good in this establishment, <laughs> might I just add. Good. Um, I love my tea. Um, tell me, you were saying that you just have to expel this energy and you yeah, do that by... I find that. Like, I'd have to... I get this idea. And maybe I should just kind of jump forward and then jump back. Yeah, go for to it. To where I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. I, um, I was 40... 41, 42 and I had said to myself you know I can't do this anymore there's definitely something going on it's more than just I'm depressed I'm also getting severely agitated when I'm wired and I just went to my doctor and I said look I don't know I, this is early menopause or what I, actually I didn't think it was that I didn't think it was that mm. because it had been going on the depression had been going on for so long but I knew there was an issue I wanted it resolved so um, she referred me to a clinic. And I saw a psychiatrist there. And for weeks and weeks of seeing these people, I went to see a few different doctors there and the clinical nurse. And um, they got me to keep a mood diary. So they would get me to jot down because I suppose they were seeing things. I was presenting with this kind of list of things and they were seeing, because they're the experts, something that maybe I wouldn't have been able to identify. So um, they got me to keep a mood diary So it would be, okay, how many days are you feeling low and how many days are you feeling where you've loads of energy and you're doing this and what are you doing during this time and what's the time frame between one and the other? And um, it was kind of hard to to keep on top of as well at times because when I'd be in great form, I'd be like, ah, sure, depression. Ah, that's gone. That's a distant memory now. You know, there's nothing. I'm grand. I'm great. In fact, I felt so great one day. I had this notion that, I don't need my family members. It's like, sure, if I don't see them again, it's grand. I don't know what sense that made, no, like it made no sense at all. But I just had this notion that I was in such good form that I wouldn't, I just didn't need anyone in my life. You know, even those closest to me. I went back to the, the clinic anyway. And at this point I had been doing my research because they had mentioned bipolar disorder. Um so I'd been doing a little reading up on things and I was like, okay, I tick that box, I tick that box, that makes sense. Um, and then they told me that that's what it was, that that's what was going on. Um, along the way, they had been um, trying to medicate me, and that was disastrous because it was either too much of a, an antidepressant, and then, okay, that's she's wired to the moon, and that's not right, so let's hit her with an antipsychotic. And sure, like, I was floored. I I couldn't. I was like a walking zombie at times on that. Um, and were
2: you in a in like in in somewhere like you no. know? What I mean, you you had to go home when you no, were doing I had to this. Go home.
1: Yeah, I was doing this at home, and um, my boyfriend now. At the time, of course, he was watching all this, and he like he would watch me get up in the middle of the night, and I'd be whacked out of it on seroquel, which is the antipsychotic, and I'd be nearly walking into the walls, and I wouldn't be right for half the next day, nearly at times. Um, it was very trial and error, and I'm glad now that I'm over that that hurdle yeah. with it, you know. Uh, they tried lithium and everything for me, and between, uh, like, my weight gain, my... It just wasn't... It, I was all over the place with meds, and then eventually, when they knew, when they finally settled on a diagnosis of bipolar 2, they said, okay, this is what we'll do, now we'll go forward with these meds. And thankfully, uh, there hasn't been... There hasn't been an issue with the medication. I think I'm on a relative, mm. relatively enough even keel. But um, yeah, I, I recorded a podcast with a guy in Australia some months back. And it only came out recently. And I was listening to it. And I was like, "I, it's so long since we did this. We had this chat. I don't even know what we discussed. But I was very upbeat. And I chatted away to him. And I said, I have to tell you, I've I'm in a very low place right now but I'm a master of disguise and I managed to hide it. Um, And I was listening to this going, oh God. So that was probably April and I've been pretty much okay since then. Um, But I haven't been in the last week or so. Um, Like it was probably about a week ago, I was starting to get really agitated and I don't see these things coming. I see neither one nor the other. You think I'd be used to it by now, Mm. but all of a sudden it's on top of me and it's like you've been hitting the head with a, I don't know a mallet or something. it takes you down, but that's where it started, and I noticed the mood going lower and lower, and um the last few days there, I was moping around the place. I was in the bed, I couldn't get up um I just thought to myself, look am i i've I've done so well, and now where am I at it's been It's been months of an even keel and uh speaking out about mental health to people. And I will say that uh, and I will continue to say to people that anyone that has any sort of issues need to speak out. But like the way I've been over the last few days, to be honest, Rebecca, I was kind of worried about myself and I'm worried about other people. Um, I contacted my GP last week and I said I had a problem with my back. And again, I know I had a problem with my back, but my mood, I think, wasn't in a great place. Mm. And she wouldn't see me. She was like, well, you need to see you need to go for a COVID test. I said, okay, well like, I have a pain in my back. I've no symptoms of COVID. I know that they're they try to play safe. But um yeah, she wouldn't see me. So that was fine. Um I rang the clinic yesterday that I had attended because A I needed a repeat prescription. I'm running low on on my um, antidepressants and antipsychotics and when I spoke to the girl there I thought well look when I get her on the phone I'm just going to say look I, I don't have a follow-up appointment I haven't heard from you in ages Um I was last sent off with a prescription um, and I wanted to say look I'm in a, a bit of a bad way and I don't know what I'm to do mm. she told me that they had no record of me in the clinic now I like, speak, have spoke very highly of them and my doctor and all the rest. And, I, you know, there are great people. And I understand this woman is obviously up to 90 with her job and it's stressful and whatnot. But to be told that there was no record of me. So, A, I haven't been able to speak to anybody. Two, I haven't got a prescription. And D, <laughs> what happens next? I'm fearful for people, Rebecca, that are not maybe as strong-minded as I am. Because I am very strong, even though I'm, I crumble can very can crumble very easily as a person and then also when I'm depressed I'm like a bag of you know pile of crap in the corner I'm useless Um but I do worry for people who are not as strong mentally that end up with those dips and say for example somebody who wasn't strong-minded couldn't get their doctor rang a clinic looking for a repeat prescription or the hope in the hopes of maybe speaking to somebody and we're told sorry we don't know are you, are you with us? Or are you not with us? We don't have you on file. She couldn't put her hand to my chart, so I was like, okay, fine. um there's no, There's no middle ground there from there because if I'm sent off with a um, with a follow appointment card on the back, it says, "You know, in the case of an emergency, contact mm. Lakeview in mm. NACE hospital. So that's a psychiatric unit. So am I to present myself at the door of a psychiatric unit? Or am I to sit at home and be left to my own devices? Do you understand? It's, mm. it's like, I'm okay with that and I'm okay now because mm. I seem to have pulled myself or I am mm. pulling myself out of the funk. But what about people who can't? You know, that maybe feel oh, like I, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to get somebody on the other end of the line. If I ring a clinic, I'm not going to be as dramatic as to go into the hospital and say, take me now. I don't know what to do with myself.
2: But is it dramatic? Is it?
1: No, it's not. But Mm. uh, there'll be people out there who will feel like they're a burden Mm. or they'll feel like their problems aren't great enough. Mm. Or, you know, for me, say, if I think back to food issues that I would have had, I could never put a title on it. Could I have called myself anorexic? Not really. I wouldn't have called myself bulimic because I wouldn't make myself sick. Mm. But I had an unhealthy relationship with food. I had... I, I would deprive myself i'd over exercise i couldn't put a title on that so therefore i couldn't i felt i couldn't go to somebody and say i'm an anorexic now there's a label fix me you know um so maybe there are people maybe i'm rambling now i don't know but you're not
2: no but i do i would say to you in the moment that you're in right now is that you know it's, it's your fight it's your fight. and i know and even i had a conversation with um Beverly Cochran today about mental health awareness and being advocates and stuff like that but I think first of all when you're low and feeling the way you do you just need to look after yourself and if it means because you've no no support you've no support right now, you've the GP which is absolutely it crazy mm. that we have to have, like Aria was sick and she needed to have a, po- uh, a Covid test before she could go in and the doctor would see her and it was days, it's just it's the system is so fucked up right now yeah and absolutely for people who are struggling mentally there's not enough help for people with eating disorders there's not enough help um but when you're feeling the way you feel right now and you you just need to look after number one and make sure that you're okay yeah it's the main thing yeah you know I know you're saying you're strong but
1: that's what you need to do yeah it just it kind of look I know I'm in a overall I'm in a great place and this but is why do
2: you need to say that? Why do you need to say that? Because if you're struggling, you're struggling.
1: Yeah. Well, because I see it as a dip. Mm. You know, it's a speed bump or something yeah. along the way. Yeah. And I know that overall I'm I'm in a good place. But um I have to I have to force myself like the things I had to do to actually try and, and make myself feel better. Like I was lying in bed. I was lying around for for days. Um and surprisingly this low was very short in comparison overall it was probably about no more than five days um it can sometimes go on for two weeks or it used to but um i woke up on what day are we today tuesday i woke up on sunday and i said to my no it was yesterday sorry beg your pardon i said to myself look i'm going to stay in bed all day and I said, no, do you know what? You're not going to do that because you have dogs downstairs that need to be let out. So mm. just go as far as the kitchen. Mm. And if you do nothing after that, then isn't that mm. progress? Mm. So I got to the kitchen and I made a coffee and I sat outside with it. And I said, OK, do you know what I'll do now? So I'll go upstairs and I'll have a shower and I'll I'll clean the house. And then I'll lie down and do nothing. But mm. every time I say, look, just do, just do that little mm. bit, it seems like this massive massive chore massive effort Mm. had to be involved in in doing anything and then I'd get to a certain point and I listened to one of your podcasts as I was cleaning the house Mm. and uh, we discussed this earlier Mm. I ended up sobbing my heart out because I listened to a girl's story and Fiona, Fiona it just it just floored me um I just my heart broke for her her family Keith's family Keith you know and I don't know what it is I just found some sort of strength there um And when the podcast ended and my house was clean, I said, you know what I'm going to do now is I'm going to do a kettlebell workout Mm. in my kitchen. I'm going to do a kettlebell workout. Mm. And, you know, like I've done all the other things. So if I can do that and all I kept saying was like the last bloody thing I want to do is exercise now. I want to curl up in a ball, Mm. but I know I'm not going to feel any worse for having done it. Mm. So, um, yeah, those few things and pushing, pushing myself. To do it. Seems to help.
2: Arlene, can I ask you what is um, bipolar disorder?
1: So I have bipolar two. Okay, so one, basically it's manic depression, is what it was known as before. Okay, so it's um, the difference between bipolar one and two is one is more extreme. So the lows are incredibly low, the highs are at times so manic. A person can be just on a different planet, basically. And in a lot of cases, whether they're high or, or low, they can end up being committed to a psychiatric unit. Um, two is uh, a lot more, um, how would we call it? A little watered down. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, I would get low, but not as low, typically as somebody with bipolar 1. And then with the mania, it's hypomania. So it's not anything extreme. And again, thankfully, I have never needed to be hospitalized. Um, I'm lucky like that. Um Although there's been times where I think Jesus Christ I wouldn't mind getting away mm. from it all. It's mm. <laughs> for anyone willing to take me mm. for a few days. Mm. I don't mean to make a joke of it, but like uh, some sort of a retreat. I need to send myself away somewhere. But um yeah, it's that's it. And it's not to make light of bipolar too. And again, mm. I'll just say I am no expert on the mm-hmm. condition. Mm-hmm. I'm just going by what I've been told, what, how I feel and mm-hmm. you know, the hand I've been dealt.
2: Isn't, wasn't, isn't Britney Spears, she has bipolar disorder and that's how it became, not a buzzword, that's not, right, right. do you know what I'm trying to say? That's how, how it came, people start talking about it a little bit more when she shaved her head and yeah. attacked the car with the umbrella, to people, it came out that she was bipolar.
1: Yeah. To be fair on Britney, she wouldn't even need to be bipolar. The, yeah. the stuff that she's had to put up with, I don't know how that girl is still standing. Yeah. you know she's, she's had a, a tough run of it. Um, yeah, I think Kerry Katona uh Catherine uh Catherine Zeta Jones bipolar, Mariah Carey yeah so
2: Quite like it's, 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 and you know what? The thing is, again, and I'm learning constantly because some of the things we, we would say with the language, or if you're saying something about some I'm oh, she's bipolar, don't mind her. Do you know what I mean? Again, it's just stuff it's that term, yeah. we just have to be really careful about yeah. the words that we use now, yeah, really, don't we? Yeah, like and I've,
1: I've heard that before everyone's yeah. a little bit bipolar. bipolar. I'm like, okay, that's that like saying everyone has a little bit of cancer, you know, it doesn't make any sense, but I know, I know we say things, we, mm. we like we're conditioned to say certain things and that's fine mm. you know you ha- you can't be too politically correct either you know because you make allowances for people we're not all perfect but
2: um yeah that's that's the situation do you know what? as well i can't believe that um when you're being trialed when they're like experimenting on you with these medications that you're at home doing this It's 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 bonkers to me how long did that happen for how long was it that over a period of time and um, do a
1: trial in you again I've, i'm desperate when it comes to time but mm. it was it was definitely six eight months before they got the the blend shall we call it mm. right and even at that look i'm assuming it's good it's just i can't expect to have this and not occasionally hit dips Again, as I said, it's progress in itself that it wasn't as lengthy as it was. I managed to pull myself out of it. It wasn't as extreme. Um, I don't, I'm not as crazy as I used to be in terms of mania either. I mean. What's I, the
2: mania like? What
1: does it do? Th- oh, it's, oh, it's the best thing ever. Is it? <laughs> Even though it isn't. It's um, at the time, it's like, okay, I have all these ideas and all these notions and I'm going to do this and do that. And it is brilliant, particularly in the line of work that that I'm in. It's great to have that drive because you know yourself you have to be a people person, you have to put yourself out there um in the entertainment business. But yeah, it's it's exhausting as well, so I don't really sleep. So when I'm depressed, I'll sleep for Ireland. And when I'm wired to the moon, I'll get by on two, three hours sleep. I'll be my boyfriend will pick up on things and I won't know. He'll be like, There's something going on here. I'll be like, what, what's going on? Yeah, you're on the cusp of something there's something brewing here and I'd be like okay that explains why I was down on my hands and knees scrubbing the skirt and boards and like running even uh, I get this urge to run at two o'clock in the morning I'd be like I need to go running I need to go running and there's a friend of mine um lovely girl she also has bipolar this is why we've managed to bond mm. um she has told me the same thing she gets the urge to run so I don't know if it's a good thing. I think doctors told her before not to, not to feed into it. Okay. But I think it'd be a great release to get up, put the runners on at two in the morning and go for a mad dash.
2: Yeah, but is it safe for you? you no, know, of course that's the not, thing. of course not. And um, how has that, Arlene, um, manifested itself through your life? You know, did it reflect, affect your relationships? Obviously it affected your marriage and so yeah. on. So will we go back a little bit and then talk to me about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It would have played a part in, in the, you know demise of my relationships all the way mm. along the line um I kind of had this thing for a long time well everybody leaves me everybody leaves me <laughs> that sounds dramatic I'm feeling sorry for myself but I used to say that to Gordon my boyfriend mm. best of luck now you know it's uh it's not it's going to be a bumpy ride with me because things are never normal and even the last few days I mean I'm just a bit of a grump to be around I should probably stop up and say do you know what go away and leave me alone for mm. about two hours and let me just argue with myself in my head and come back to me then, and hopefully I'll be a nicer person because I'm I'm agitated a lot when I'm like that. So whether I'm up or down, it it comes with a certain level of you know anxiety and whatever I'm arguing with myself in my head, and then you take it out in the people around you. So yeah, of course there would have been there would have been issues. I know, like over the years, I wouldn't have told, I wouldn't have confided in my family members about what was going on uh they never found out up until recently about those two attempts that I made on my life. Um so yeah, I I think I, I would push them away a lot when I'd start to feel down. I'd I'd close down. I think maybe now my mother is seeing, okay, that's why she didn't come home for X amount of time or this is why, you know, she didn't call as frequently when she was at home or whatever, you know. Um but the whole thing came to a head, Rebecca, to be honest, when my dad died. So this was it. Like this was, I think the the bomb, the atomic bomb that went off. So, as I said, I'd gone past the forty mark. I was already thinking to myself, "Look, you need to get things straight straightened out. And um, I'd say the most traumatic. I'll try not to cry again, but the most traumatic time of my life. I was doing um a gig. It was for a private party and uh i don't know was it somebody's birthday i think it was the 40th birthday party and i was on stage i had received a text from my sister my older sister about an hour before i went on stage and she said what time did your gig finish at i was like normal time whatever you know half 11 12 i thought it was strange that she was asking me that because it wouldn't have been a time that she would have called to me afterwards she i knew there was something going on so i thought okay well sure she'll tell me later tomorrow
3: to get started visit plushcarecom loss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
1: Um I was halfway, three quarters of the way through the gig. I was singing an ABBA song. It was a real party environment. People were on the dance floor. And I looked out at the door and um, I saw my brother standing there. I was like, "There's Eric." And instantly I went, oh, there's Eric. That that doesn't make sense. Why is he here? Here? This is a private party." I knew there was something going on. I was on stage. I'm singing. Who knows what I was spewing out. Like the words were probably coming out in German for all I knew. I was that shaken by the situation. I had a text. I had him standing at the end of the hall. And I knew there was some sort of bad news coming my way. So the song ended and I just went to the side of the stage and Eric was there. And he looked at me and he said, Daddy's gone. And I was like, What? Like, we're still playing. We're in the middle of a gig here. You know, what's going on? Um, Completely and utterly out of the blue. My father wasn't sick. He, you know, we didn't, we didn't have any time to get our heads around this. He had literally, now look, there had been warning signs again. We have a a family history of heart problems on his side. And a number of months beforehand, he'd said he'd felt unwell. Went to the doctor and the doctor said, look, you've had a stroke. You've had a mini stroke somewhere along the line. That's your wake-up call now to cop onto yourself. I actually remember um, going to my dad, making an appointment with the doctor, pulling up outside the house and nearly grabbing him by the scruff of the neck to get into the car. I've made a doctor's appointment for you now and you said you weren't feeling well. What are you talking about? Typical stubborn man. He wouldn't go to the doctor. He went a week later. That's when he was told about the, the stroke. And I kind of felt myself going, told you so, you Mm, know, Mm. but um, look, he was one of those people that would um, rather sweep everything under the carpet when it came to health for fear that he was going to be told something bad. So it was a case of, I'll just leave everything. And if I'm feeling this pain or unwell in some way, shape or form. sure I'll just get on with it, say nothing until the day I die, you know, Mm. for fear that I'm told you have to be bedridden for six months with some sort of, you know, illness. My father would, he said himself, he watched his brother-in-law die from a brain tumour and he said to my mum, look, if that ever happens to me, like, put a bullet in my head. I don't, I don't. As so
2: many people say, it's crazy how many men and and women now saying it. I've heard from women as well.
1: Just don't leave me like that. Mm. Don't leave me like that. Yeah. So what did you do that night? Um, I I was kind of surprised at my reaction. Like, I wasn't... I was very calm, but I was very put out, Rebecca. I was really... I was like, this isn't what we had planned for. No, I know that... This sounds ridiculous. I went into Nace Hospital and I was just... I had a big pissed off face on me. I was like, no. Did no. you leave the gig straight away? I literally turned to Gordon, my boyfriend, who plays with me, and I said, mm. look, daddy's dead. And he... I remember him looking like he wanted to pick the guitar up and just fling it across the room. He was so stunned. Again, it was like, it was just, he was there, he was out for dinner with my mom and my sister and my brother-in-law. And a couple of hours later, he was dead, you know? So it was, um, yeah, it was just unexpected. By the time I got to the hospital, everyone was there. His brothers, um, my sisters, my brother actually and his wife brought me to the hospital. And again, I just, I walked in, I saw him lying in in the bed and I was like, He was still actually, he was still, I think, he seemed warm at that point. I was like, what the hell? So surreal, you know. I turned around, I looked in the mirror. and I I was washing my face because my stage makeup was all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I'm there in like some sort of a stupid looking glitzy dress. Just Mm -hmm. like disco diva and everyone else is standing in the hospital room around a dead body. I was like, no, just so. This is what I say to people. It's like. You could worry about somebody, you could worry about your grandparents or, you know, whoever, somebody that's vulnerable or sick or whatever in your family and you're constantly thinking, oh, I hope they're going to be okay, but it's the person that you're not expecting on the day you least expect it. It's the phone call on a random Tuesday, it's the, as I said, in the middle of a gig. I mean, like, what were the chances that I would be up on stage after all those years that daddy pushed me literally onto stage onto the stage to sing with bands why was I told why was I told then you know and and I don't know I just had so many questions around the whole thing but that was it that was the as I said the bomb that went off and with that like yeah I decided I have to sort myself out I I think somewhere along the line after that I may have lost the plot I do remember the was it Every anniversary, of course, is terrible. But the the one year anniversary being curled up was like, oh, like in a an absolute catastrophic heap in in the sitting room. And I said, no, I have to. I know that antidepressants don't; they don't solve all your problems. They don't cure grief. You have to go through that. But when there was other problems going on, and whether it was my heart or my head, I took it as, you know, as a sign. Look, there's somebody who didn't take responsibility for his health. Well, I'm going to take responsibility for mine going forward and I'm going to live as healthy and as happy a life as I can, you know, from that point on. Do you know, I got my heart checked out, I got my head checked out, I got everything checked out because, and we're very much like that now as a family, we speak out about things when there's something going on. Particularly me and my older sister, we talk about everything because we don't want to do the whole head in the sand kind of thing if my father had took his head out of the sand he could be with us now you know so yeah I think that was a major turning point and again it probably really I think it, it pushed it pushed me over the edge as well to a point that I thought I'm not going any further I have th- have to seek help now um,
2: did you uh, when
1: did you lose your mind with it like Um, for a long time after he was gone, I said, I found myself saying, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be alive. I knew I wasn't saying I want to kill myself, but I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be here anymore. And I used to have this, I don't know if you're like this, but the terrible fear of death, Mm. you know, I used to have nightmares about it. I'd be thinking, oh my God, how does sounds ridiculous how does anyone go through that and you have to go through it on your own And what's it going to feel like and is it going to hurt and all these thoughts and I just thought I've no fear anymore of death because if there's anything on the other side and he's there you know Mm. I'll be grand but um no it's funny isn't it how when time goes on and you've lost somebody so close to you you eventually stop thinking of them first thing in the morning you know you do they're not He's no longer my first suffocating thought when I get up. And that's brilliant. That's great that I'm, you know, you don't get over it, but you get on with it. Um, and that's it. In one way, I'm kind of, um, I'm I'm glad that I'm speaking out about stuff and he's not here to listen. Because I don't know if he'd know what to do with it. Mm. You know, I don't know if that sounds a bit no, I silly you. point to make, but... Um, Yeah,
2: because he'd probably feel like he let you down
1: maybe yeah the whole protective dad thing that he should have been there for this that Mm. the other but like you know he was never going to be because you never spoke about it i never spoke about it you know more fool me um i haven't shut up about it in the last while good (laughs) yeah um of course my mother picked up a very well-known magazine there recently and read a story about me things she never knew things that i didn't get to talk to her about before the article came out and uh things that i still haven't talked to her about so we've yet to have a big kind of heart-to-heart talk why do you think you
2: haven't spoke to her about it
1: since um i suppose i haven't really seen her that much she was away she was in portugal with my brother he lives over there and uh that's not an excuse no it's not i know you know Uh, i've avoided her that's Mm. yeah. And I called around this evening and she had a thumping headache and I kind of thought, yes, we don't mm. have to talk about this right now. Did Not she ring you when, you when
2: she read it? Did she ring you?
1: She did. Yeah, she did. What did and you she say to And was upset. Um, and I was quick to say to her, ma, look, I'm in a great place now. This is why I'm able to talk. Again, I know maybe I'm contradicting that after saying, you know, that I've been in a bit of a low mood the last few days, but overall, I'm, you know, on, a, on the right track. I'm medicated when I can get the right people on the phone and they can find my bloody file. Mm. <laughs> I can talk to people, you know. Um, I've been to, to uh, counsellors and stuff and I've talked through things. So I wanted her to be aware that I I can't go back if I've spoken out. I can't keep these, these things a secret anymore. And once it's out there, um, I'm forced now to, to address it. I have to address it. And I think when it happens again, and if I feel... That low, yeah, I'm going to take myself to the hospital if I have to, and just say, look, right, I need, I need help. It's your only option. You yeah. need to just do it. And just if my make leg. Sure you're okay. If my leg was broken, or, you know, I'd have to go to the hospital. Mm. There's something not right, and that's what I say to people. Just try your best, even if it's to pick up the phone and ring somebody that you you don't know. Some sort of a uh, like the Samaritans or somebody mm. like that. I don't know. There's a lot of options out there. Um there is and and we have to we have to take responsibility for ourselves and
2: that's a big thing yeah you have to take responsibility for yourself yeah you do that's a big thing yeah
1: um I don't think people do no a lot of people are too busy looking after other people and forgetting about their own well-being and you know what is it they say about if you don't make time for your your health. You'll have to make time for your illness, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. You know, you just have to address whatever it is. And I guess, yeah, he, my dad, he taught me that life is short. He died at 69. You know, it was too young. And why would you go through life, you know, making things difficult on yourself if there was a way that you could see to make it easier? So, you know, whether that's antidepressants, whether that's talking to somebody, whether it's, running your arse off in the gym to release endorphins, whatever it might be, uh, to alleviate the problem. It's, yeah, it's it's best to just own it. And what well, it was for me anyway.
2: And the f- the magazine, what was it? Was it RSVP?
1: No, it was um, Life magazine with Life Sunday Place. Independent. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Yeah. No offense to RCP. Yeah, I well, know I was in that too. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, but uh, yeah, no, they did a big story. It was great. It was a lovely platform, you know, to be given. But um, what was the biggest
2: thing in the article that you're afraid or worried about your mum saying?
1: Um, taking an overdose at 15, because for her as a parent i would imagine in her head which is not the case but i'd say she probably feels like she let me down she didn't let me down at all she was completely oblivious in fact i remember the day after because i was quite sick that night and i was sick throughout the next day and i was at home curled up in the armchair and i remember her saying to me i'm gonna ask you something and look you're not gonna get in trouble i just want to ask you i said what she said are you pregnant because I was just being so sick I was like mm. Ugh, no mm. like I mean I hadn't even been with anyone mm. at that point like get away from me mm. um you know, I suppose that was probably the the biggest thing and there's nothing else I'm holding on to Rebecca that's the thing like I'm now I'm not afraid anymore I'm not afraid to to be me I'm not afraid to speak out I'm not ai don't care you know there's nobody I'm afraid of. There's nothing there that I have hidden in the closet that I'm worried that someone's going to find out. Like I've owned my story and I'm, I'm just, yeah, and I think if my mother is okay with it, with things, once we get her kind of <laughs> all right with mm. or her head around certain things and she understands that I'm, I'm here and I'm for the most part happy and mm. um whatnot, then I, I don't care. I don't care about anything else. I'll I'll continue to speak and I'll continue to, as long as I don't let myself down as well, you know, mm-hmm. that I...
2: Why do you think you'd let yourself down?
1: Oh, I always had this thing that like, you know, you, know, you get kind of scolded by your parents. It's like if they're disappointed in you. that's mm-hmm. I thought that was the worst feeling ever. I'd rather like they ate the head off me for something, but to hear that they were disappointed in me always kind of stuck with me. So I think that's the thing. I want to kind of, carry myself and tell my story and just not let myself down and hopefully help other people, mm. you know? Um, and it will. Yeah, here's hoping. I actually, yesterday morning, I thought to myself, how am I going to come up to this woman's house and sit in front of her and talk? How am I going to actually get in the car and get there? Someone's going to have to bring me. Like, I'm going to have to be carried there um, and put in front of this woman and I'm not going to be able to say anything to you and it just comes out i think the reason i started crying here is because this face-to-face thing it is it's mm. like a therapy session <laughs> god damn you <laughs> you have some sort of a knack you know i'm told that all the time yeah. I, I was away even the
2: weekend someone and i was like and and they were like "Rebecca, please don't podcast me please yeah. and i was like i won't i'm, I'm walking away i'm walking <laughs> away um but um take it back to me for uh about being in the industry um that must have been a really not not scary because you probably didn't realise it was scary because you're a manic Um, but the pressure and the stress in that industry to remain relevant even when you left the band and as you get older as an, an older woman
1: in her 40s yeah to stay relevant
2: in that game, it must be very difficult.
1: Oh, of course it is. You know how hard it is to be a woman anyway, mm. at the best of times. You're worried mm. about, what was it? I heard Deirdre O'Kane say, she doesn't mind getting older, but she's worried about her f- uh, face hitting the floor or falling into the sea. Um, we have our own set of concerns, you know, and appearance is one of them because like in the entertainment industry yeah you have to look a certain way I suppose when I you don't have to look a certain way but there was pressure on me mm. and when I was younger I would have been subjected to comments from people in an audience at times you know um uh you're the fattest one in the band um like I was tiny size eight at the time I was a straight up and down teenager Um, you know you'd be subjected you put yourself up there and out there for people to scrutinise and i can only imagine how difficult it is for well-known celebrities who are on the front pages of magazines look at the way she's put on look at the way she's lost look at her stuff in her face look at her you know mm-hmm. look at her there with no makeup on um so i felt that i felt that because as i said like i would wear at the time skimpy skimpy outfits on stage so you are being watched head to toe and um
2: what did you think of little mix my dad rang me and he said to me um you need to sit down with the girls and I said well, and he said and watch this programme. He said, It's a girl. She was in a band. Her name is Jessie and she's from he said, Little something, you know. And yeah. he didn't know who she was, he just seen the documentary and he said, By God, Rebecca, he said that scared the living life out of me. The fact that the abuse she was getting and how she felt and even her own band members were apparently part of that as well.
1: Right the only thing that got me with them and i i know very little about her story i have seen clips and stuff but i sound like an owl on here but like like the overly sexualized look that those girls would have in videos and on stage i don't like i don't know if it's good for them who's who's actually promoting that and why are they subjecting it on young kids i don't know that's just my mm. opinion i kind of mm. think and that's veering off somewhere else there but um I don't know. Yeah, look, it's desperate for that girl. If she if she was subjected to stuff like that, she's, and again, she's there half naked, mm. whether it was her weight or her face or whatever it was. These trolls latch onto things and, you know, as I said, I, feel, if I def- feel very sorry, desperately sorry for girls that are women that are subjected to that on a more public scale. Like, I've got it. I've got a private message to me. I've been called every name under the sun. I've been sent dick pics it's like you know sure you're there and you know what is that like to get dick pic I never oh got sure one. it's wonderful <laughs> Rebecca you know I've I mean, never had one thank god don't I, don't send me anything. what do they what do they want me to do like <laughs> print it out and shove it up my like what the hell you know it's yeah. like thanks mm. it's not attractive to look at ever mm. and mm. yeah jog on there um no, that's that's eased off a lot now the last little while, thank God. The joys of not being single. Um but uh, yeah How no, did you meet Gordon? How did I meet Gordon? He is a sound engineer okay. and a guitar player and we had moved in similar circles and I remember I'd always I'd always known the name, um and he was doing sound for me at a gig one time. There was a couple of different acts on and I was late. For the, I didn't make it to the sound check. Mm. So I literally ran in and when it was time for me to go on stage, I went on and he was there in the sound booth. And he was with another guy, a friend of his, who also works, does lights with him. And I thought, what's going on up there with the two of them? They look like they're having great crack. So in the theatre that night, I had got up and I'd done a couple of songs and there was a few other, said, acts performing that night. So I sat down with a couple of guys that I'm friends with and um, everyone was facing the stage. But I kept looking around. It's was like, what's going on back there? I, I was so drawn to him, I, I just kept looking back. If anyone had seen, like, uh, whatever number of hundred people staring at the stage and one person with their head turned around staring at the guy in the sound booth. Um, but that was that. I we didn't cross paths for a while then we um we ended up doing some Christmas shows together so there was a band um that wanted a female singer just for their Christmas shows Mm. in in December and I wasn't really in the habit of doing this whole Deppin thing I didn't really Mm. enjoy it but I just thought you know whatever sure Gordon Turner's in the band and he's meant to be great crack so I'll get I'll get to know him Mm. and uh yeah, I did. I had good fun with him. I found him really easy going. Um, he worked with other singers at the time. And he, like he said to me one time, you know, I, I do this um, two-piece act. And uh, I well, he went out by himself occasionally and with other bands and sound gigs and whatnot. Um, and he said, like, I'll work with this girl. She'll come from Dublin. And then there might be other gigs that are kind of Carlo based. And this other singer will will um, accompany me then. And I said, um, "Would you just give me all the work?" <laughs> and he was like, "Yeah, okay." Mm. <laughs> and it went from there. And we just, yeah, we we started gigging, and um, we became really, really good friends. And I think that was the basis. That was that's a real kind of basis for a strong relationship to have that, to have that friendship, to have the crack. Like he is most definitely my best friend. Like we laugh at the stupidest of things, and we've the same ridiculous sense of humor. But um, again, he has the patience of a saint because he has seen me unmedicated. He has seen me on the floor. He's seen me like wired to the moon. He's seen me on the wrong kind of medication and he's consistent and Mm. he's there. And he hasn't let me down and he's, it doesn't look like he's going anywhere anytime soon, which is brilliant because all the rest fecked off, you know.
2: (laughs) And that's really important, isn't it? That
1: he's seen you every which way yeah and he was there for me when daddy died as well like he was he really was by my side um you know he was he was just brilliant he's a great lad um and we formed the band so we it's rare to meet somebody who has well I've never met anyone who has my interest at heart as much as he does so in terms of moving forward musically my interests are his interests and Interests are mine, and you know what I mean. We work really well, well so do
2: you know, you, you just like that said that, like you know, so he had your interests at heart. It's really important to find someone, yeah, like that, that has your interests,
1: and so bloody rare, yeah, like and to come out of a marriage as well and to go through divorce and like uh, to find somebody. So, I don't mean this wrong, and Jesus, if he's listening to this. <laughs> He'll be like, yeah, I'm deadly, haven't I? Um, Nobody's so perfect for me. He's not perfect and I'm not perfect, but we're perfect for one another. Um, And we formed the band and we decided, you know what? This is your your baby, Arlene. Like we'd done all these gigs where it would be pub gigs and it would be weddings and it would be funerals and all sorts of shows and gigs and whatever. Um, he He helped form that band for me. He rounded up musicians and musicians that were brilliant and musicians that we could trust and work with. Um and he's the one that takes care of like sound and getting to gigs and equipment and all that. He's the brains behind the whole thing. You know, um I'm the I'm the face and he's the arse, basically. say <laughs> to say about my pod,
2: but I wouldn't give him <laughs> that much. <laughs> you kill me after this. Um tell me this. What was the it, like the big highlight in your life and then what was one of the lowest points in your life other than what you've already spoke to me about in your career even? Um,
1: highlights? Um, hmm. I suppose one of the greatest moments in my life was in the first time I went to Nashville. I recorded an album there. Wow. And um, that was grand, that was fine. It was a small scale kind of situation but I went... A second time and recorded a second album, and this time I had a serious lineup of musicians. Like it was a bit kind of first time around it was kind of in the back of a garage, sort of a recording setup. But hey, we could stick a Nashville label on some of the songs. Mm. Um, some of the some of the album was recorded in the UK as well. But anyway, the second album was exclusively recorded in Nashville, and I had musicians with me that were um, like the guy that produced the album was Willie Nelson's keyboard player. Okay, um, a guy that played guitar worked with Keith Urban and um, somebody else had written songs for huge names like we're talking like I sat there with my mouth open I felt like you know who am I like small town girl you know what I mean sitting amongst these people that were just you know just amazing when it came to music and they had a totally different setup there as well compared to Like the way we record here and the way we record in the UK and whatever, it's all number based out there. And it's just play the song there. Like I brought the song Carrick Fergus out to them, the Mm. Irish song, Mm. and they'd never heard it. And they were like, "Okay, that's nice. And then they turned it into some big, I don't know what, massive production with fiddles and pedal steel and sat there awe, and on every five minutes I was up and down and out to ring my mother I mean like I can't believe this <laughs> like, mm. I can't believe that I'm in like uh, to, to other people this may sound ridiculous but because they were kind of the royalty of musicians mm. as far as I could see in Nashville you know so you, you're not going to get any better than somebody who played keyboards for Willie Nelson Absolutely. that's playing keyboards for me on mm. my album um so I kept going out and ringing her, going, like, pinch me. This is just amazing. Like, it it, it was amazing. Um, probably one of the lowest points that I remember then, just while you ask that, would be um, jumping back now a few years when my ex-husband and I, as I said, we were engaged for a period of time and then we broke up. And uh, one thing led to another. And I found myself standing outside my mother and father's house because I had to leave his house with all my stuff in black bags because I didn't have, I may have had a suitcase, but everything else was in black bags. And I stood at the door with my mother and I just, it was New Year's Eve. And um, I just said to her, like, this is nearly laughable. Like, this can't get any worse. I'm now, well, not homeless because I always had my mom and dad's to go to if mm-hmm. I needed to. And I had some sort of a base in the UK, but I was standing there going on New Year's Eve, When I thought I had all this ahead of me, this amazing future and this wedding booked and this has gone tits up, pardon my French, and I went to Belfast, I drove to Belfast and I got on a ferry to Scotland and I played that night, New Year's Eve, and I remember singing stupid things like I Will Survive and like nearly snotting and bawling through the whole thing, singing "Old lang syne, going there goes that year. What What's ahead of me the next year? Like, and I, I got my SIM card out of my phone and I just flung it out the window as I actually was on the way when I was driving to Belfast and they didn't hear from me for three months. I didn't come home, four months maybe. I couldn't cope. I was like, what the hell? Like my life just took a total um, about turn and in one way, I could see the humour in it. As I said, when I stood there with everything in black bags going, like, the last day of, of whatever year it mm. was, going, like, what What the hell? And why did the relationship break down? Was it your illness, or...? Um, it was... Uh, I'll try, try to be diplomatic about this. I suppose, as I said to the girl that interviewed me for Life magazine, I had my problems and he had his. Mm. So together, like, it wasn't... Even though we were madly in love with one another, you know, and I did see a future with him i didn't I had hoped that that's where it was gonna go, but it just it didn't, and ultimately we were probably better off away from one another, you know, mm.
2: which was sad, but and when you got your diagnosis, did you reach out to him?
1: No, I didn't. I closed that door um a long time ago, and I suppose there had been a couple of attempts along the way, maybe where he tried to reach out to me and I tried to reach but it was never right. I, I think we were um the only time I actually tried to reach out to him was to try and sort out our divorce. So that was it. But look, do you know, I wish the lad all the best in the world and I'm hoping that he's doing well and you know, I don't know the person anymore. It's funny, you know, it's it's like as the song goes, now you're just somebody that I used to know. It's it's just one of those things and one of those one of those times in your life and uh, people get together and sometimes it doesn't work out nobody's died it just it happens and I'm so grateful that I have such a healthy relationship now you know Mm. that I can kind of just and I think you know you're over somebody when you can actually when you don't feel any you don't hold grudges and you just think Mm. best of luck with whatever Mm. you do you know
2: and when you did the Life magazine piece was there any negativity at all from any family members or friends?
1: no Not at all, not at all. Um, I found it strange though I started to nearly feel uncomfortable with all the people saying I was so brave because I was like, I didn't quite get it. Mm -hmm. I didn't get it and look, I I suppose I was brave. I was, Mm -hmm. but um, I guess I wanted people to read it but I kind of didn't really want anyone to say much to me about it other than to celebrate the fact that it was a bit of publicity and it was hopefully something that would help other people. So I kind of didn't really want to attract all that much attention with it I kind of wanted other people to take a look and say okay maybe a family member of mine you know is unwell and I see similarities or somebody else is reading it going yeah I actually I need to get help there's there's help out there I need to go look for it I I was just genuinely hoping to help other people um maybe in my own little selfish way it was a bit of therapy for me you know like this is I'll go home tonight now and I'll feel like I've been steamrolled because I will feel like I've had a therapy session because it can be exhausting to talk, but in another sense it's it's great. It's great to to let it out. You know?
2: What are you gonna do now? What are we what's the what we gonna do? What what are we gonna do? What are you gonna do, Arlene?
1: <laughs> what what am I gonna do? I'm uh, I'm focusing so much on my career, Rebecca. I'm um with the new album out now, I'm as I said, banging down doors. I'm Yeah, I'm getting a bit of publicity, I'm getting a bit of airplay. Um, I can't, as much as I want to fly the flag for mental health and I want to speak out in the hopes that other people will seek help, I also can't forget that I'm a a musician, I'm a singer, and that's what I'm really ultimately trying to promote, and that's where my heart really lies. I love to perform. Um, We have a few gigs lined up. We've done a couple of uh, theatre gigs there recently, uh, government-funded ones, and... um, we have some stuff in the pipeline but for the minute it's still very much up in the air nobody's really um booking tours as such and next year I think is going to be the year that we hopefully get a bit more clarification on things and mm. that we can say okay from a certain point now we're going to work to to do this stint and the the aim is theatre gigs mm even small venues where like a show that we did recently was an acoustic show and you have people in the palm of your hand. So it's so different than the full band. Because the band is like there's five of us. Yeah, five. Just <laughs> think mm. about that. Um and it's loud and it's edgy country and it's tongue in cheek and we're having to crack and we're rocking out. But when you do an acoustic gig, I think I love one equally as much as the other. Mm. There's something lovely about sitting on a stool and having an audience in the palm of your hand. And it's just a guitar, like the last time we had um, Gordon on guitar and we had a female fiddle player. So, do you know, it's just lovely to um, to do those kind of gigs because you then get to do a different spin on your own songs. And you get to talk to an audience and kind of engage with them a little bit more. And it's just, as long as I'm performing, Rebecca, mm. um, and as long as, you know, I suppose I have to, I want to be a little bit precious about it and not kind of just do what I used to do and play everywhere and anywhere because Mm. I know I think COVID has taught us a a lot you know I suppose we've all had a chance to take a look at things and put things in in perspective but for me personally now going forward it's my own shows it's it's not the play in the pubs and and stuff like that Mm. they're great great Mm. crack and there's money to be made but now I need to take a step from that step back from that as self-preservation as well because the years of being in that environment and being in pub environments since the age of four really since mm. singing on stage in pubs um like yeah I need to I think I need to kind of take me and go no you know we're going to put you there mm. now in a kind of a, a kind Did of it. a safer and not safer but you know what I mean like I a, know a little bit more comfortable in environment and especially as you said like um, of, a, of an age now where I'm like no you know if it's not if it's not for me, it's not happening. If it doesn't feel mm. right, or I've done my apprenticeship in a sense, I guess in in that regard. So I'm like, no, I'll 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 aim for those gigs and I'll pick and choose the gigs. And um, yeah, I'm finding a little bit difficult right now to kind of break down the doors TV wise here. Which is funny, mm-hmm. you know. I found it easier in the UK mm. to get TV spots and stuff. So not that that's been a deterrent for me. I'm mm-hmm. still banging. I'm still banging on those doors, you know, um, and as long as I'm performing, I'm, I'm happy. Once I figured out that, you know, after a bit of a break for a while between COVID and then a few other bits and pieces along the way where I said, look, I'll take a rest for a number of months. Mm. I always came back to this and it is always what sat well with me and what's really what really keeps me happy, you know, inside the the music And I think whether it's my music, whether it's exercise, whether it's my pets, Mm. I'm surrounding myself with the things that bring me joy as best I can because, you know, there are external elements out there that'll come and get you and, you know, Mm. throw a cat among the pigeons. So I try to keep things as happy as possible. The last question I'll ask
2: you, what do you think has saved you over the years?
1: Me. Yeah, and I know that probably sounds a bit... (laughs) me um I remember being in a an unhappy situation before in the past and my sister said to me um my ex-husband at the time he saved you you know like as in he made you see the clearing for the trees or he whatever it was and I thought yeah he did but then I thought back no all those times where I did whatever or pulled myself out of a hole or whatever it was me it was me fair enough I'm assisted by medication and you know a medical team and (laughs) whatever else and I've seen as I said excellent counsellors and therapists and whatnot to help me but ultimately it's been me who's got up off my backside and sought the help you know and um all the way along the line when things got tough I I guess I have a certain sense of resilience and yeah I put up a a therapist actually that, that I spoke to one time gave me this this kind of trick. She was like, imagine like nearly a, a brick wall up against, up in front of you. And then when certain people come with certain things to throw things at you, it's only going to get so far. So I kind of, at the time I could see, uh, probably a bit morbid, but I envisioned it being like a headstone in front of me. Okay. Like, you know, and... You try to throw something at a headstone. Mm. It's just I don't know why that 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 picture came to mind, but that's what I feel. I'm like you're, you know. Yeah, I've look. I'm looking after myself, mm. and I'm I think maybe shielding myself from the crap that's out there. Still, well, well as I said, get the crap. Mm. Still get the occasional penis picture or um abusive message from somebody on online it's gas isn't it the internet how it brings us all together in a wonderful way and mm. in a messed up way as well mm. where people think they can just contact you and you yeah. know and so say what you want call to say you piece of shit
2: yeah I'll tell you Eileen I was um away for work recently and we had enhanced events enhanced entertainment and Lulu was one of the ones right. that we had on board um and uh it was it, it was one it was it was very emotional for us because it was the first time seeing live um you know live entertainment live action for you guys I can only imagine what it's like but when we were leaving the ship um I said to her um I was escorting her off and I said to her Lulu look up and everyone was on their balconies and they were waving to her and she burst into tears oh and she and I just went oh and she said to me Rebecca I'm 72 years of age she said and I don't have much of that left she says after all these years and this eight months, eighteen months of not working and seeing that, she was like, "I love it." And she just walked the whole end of the pier and waved to every single ah. one of them, and it was such a magical moment for
1: me that I was like, "This is Lulu," like you know what I mean? exactly. And for such a legend, you probably mm. would think moments like that are a dime a dozen to mm. somebody like that, but mm. she still obviously is so grateful and and of course, like every musician, whether they're you know, doing small gigs, big gigs, whatever, they've missed it. And you're in that industry for a reason, you know, and and I guess she is, you know, she, that's where her heart lies. That woman has been singing since she's yeah. very young. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Um, fair play to her. She does not look 72.
2: Yeah. She's great for 72. Well, Arlene, thank you so much for coming here. And do you know what? Even more so, because you've been feeling so low so thank you for like having the strength and as you said the resilience that you have and you are saving yourself to come here tonight to my home to talk to me I totally enjoy this so thank you so yeah, much me too despite
1: all the crying that's okay but look you obviously have that knack that's okay maybe you've missed your calling Rebecca you oh. should have been a counsellor oh. or something <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I have heard it. my cruise calling is the one that I, the ocean calls
2: me yeah and that's where I am But well,
1: I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and as I said welcome me into your home and like again it's another step in the right direction for me you know just to be able to voice it and again um, hopefully maybe if there's someone listening and they feel like they, they need some sort of help just just speak out that's that's what I want to say to people you know thank you
0: imagine the
1: softest sheets
0: you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time